Well, here we are at uh, scale X. I guess there's another X. We were just it's scale twenty X. Oh, twenty X. Well, if you, the, the the hashtag is X, I guess twenty X. You're yeah, right. It's twenty X because the idea was each year uh-huh. they were going to scale more and more. So the first year they they were scaling one X, and then next year it was like, oh, we're scaling twice as big because oh. the first like two or three it doubled in size. Mm. Huh. They're not scaling 20. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's something about once you get about like, three or four. I think when they had the math goes pretty wacky. Yeah. Things went down for three years for some reason. Oh, oh I see. Why? So it's, it's a chance to scale better. Yeah. Well. I see. Well, uh, we're doing a live show, so apologies for the audio, but we do, we do have some super fans over here. Yeah. That's, that's great. And, uh, and then also, uh, our old friend John Willis was, was nice enough to be a guest on here. Hola. So we don't really have, because Brandon's not here, we don't have uh, any, any organization of links to talk about. We have no show notes. But I have, I have, you know, I have been perusing your recent uh, book. Perusing? Yes. Well, it's, it's so long, <laughs> John, that in right order now. to read it in time, I had to peruse <laughs> <laughs> about, about dimming. So I thought that would be, you know, that would be That's a good place fine. to start talking. And when I was perusing this morning, I was thinking, I haven't gotten to this part yet, but I was thinking, like, what's Dimming's take on, like, creativity and how you just, like, how would he, like, make poetry better? Like, and that's a bit of a, a weird way of putting it, but, like, a lot of it is sort of, like, you know, manufacturing and management. But, like, how would you apply, like, Dimming think to, like, uh, you know, I thought Dr. Sleep was a terrible movie. We should do better next time. Um, interesting enough, he was, uh, he was really into culture. Yeah. And um, like, in fact, I, I uh, did a podcast with a gentleman who worked with him um, about a month ago. I keep finding these people that show up and like, hey, I knew Demi. Do you want to talk to me? I'm like, yes, please. Yeah. And yeah, you uh, get a lot of them on your podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Well, that's they usually come like because they see something or somebody passes or something that I've written. And, and what's cool is that none of them are like, hey, you're an idiot. You got it all wrong. <laughs> that's They're, super cool. Yeah, that is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> like that. it feels good. Yeah. yeah. Um, but this guy. Um, told me like a really cool uh, story. Like not only did he write the procedures for his funeral, mm. he wrote the music. Really? Yeah. Did you get a copy of the music? No, he, <laughs> ha- he, ha- he actually has a copy uh-huh. of, the, um, of the, the sheet music. That so. could be like bonus material for your book. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> so um, finish the book. But, like, but so the, the long way answer is uh, like what, one of the things that happened in Japan is when he, you know, the, the, the longer story of like he was sent over after World War II uh-huh. as part of a process to reconstruct from MacArthur. And I won't go into all the gory details. It's in my book, by the way. But um, the, um, one of the things that, um, two things that happened. One was the, the, the nation had just been conquered. Uh-huh. And this gentle, soft giant comes over. And he's teaching them stuff that, like, that they were like, oh my God, we want to know this. In fact, it was even worse that because he was teaching all these statisticians that were wartime statisticians. Yeah. And during the war, they got to see the gap between the quality. So, in other words, when they capture a U.S. plane, they tear it apart. And and there was a, there's a book by David Haberstein. So it's called The Reckoning, and he says they were sickened by the gap of the quality of the American-made. Mm. And then they realized it was that guy that was partially responsible for that quality effort in war. But so they, you know, instead of somebody coming in and sort of bossing them around and putting them, they found this gentle, lovable guy who was willing to teach him. And then he would basically sneak out to go to Kabuki, because you couldn't go anywhere, right? Like, because, I mean, after World War II, yeah, he'd he'd sneak out to do Kabuki theater. He'd go, um, he'd get 
um, stuff from the PX to give it to people who are oh, starving. Right, right. Yeah. But he was, he was uh, a big part of his, he was a musician. Um, so, um, and the only, so to tie that back to his methodology, which I think you wanted to go sure. there somewhere, yeah, yeah. which is, yeah, I mean, like I said, he, he had just massive um, evidence of his life, like loving culture. But the thing that I think tied that together to his uh, philosophy is he really thought hard about the joy of work for humans. I mean, he was a human first. In everything that he did, it was, it was centered around, you know, we need to make humans treat them better, put them in positions where they can succeed. I mean, eliminating toil. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. All humans that. don't like to toil. Yeah, no, and, 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 and even more importantly, like things like, um, you know, being forced to do things that don't make sense, that mm -hmm. take the sort of, the you know, the, the, the intrinsic way of like, well, you know, Matt, if you can't get those five things to work tomorrow, I'm going to fire you, right? And you're under fear. And it's just all, you know, and I'll just end that is, you know, if you really want to see that sprayed across, it's, you know, the way I first got in, uh, in, introduced to him was from Ben Rockwood and read Deming's 14 points. And you will see that all through it, you know, driving out fear, Joy of work, learning, your organization, all that stuff. So yeah, he, you know, he 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 had that sort of spin of it all. You mm. know? Here, here, here's another thing. I don't, I forget why. Oh, because there was some anecdote in a footnote you were telling. Now you know, uh, we're from Austin, but we're, we we uh, we didn't get a chance. To see I disagree. You're not. You don't live in Austin. We used anymore. to. Be. All right, all right, okay. I was long ago. There. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> but you know, uh, we I, I I don't know. I'll speak. For oh, I got to stop for a second. Uh, I never seen he. This guy always smiles. Yeah. Except when UT lost to, um, in the, in the, uh, the, and I made a joke about it, and I thought he was going to punch me in the face. <laughs> so I know you're well, from Austin, my friend. The last time I was in Pasadena was 2009. I think that was, yeah, I think that was the game. Uh, that was the game, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, anyway, did that did that not turn out well? No. Yeah. No. Lost. I, I like know. I, I got to see the true depth of his uh, his fanship of UT uh, because. No. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I did it. So, uh, you know, I grew up hearing about all the uh, the, the, the crazy, uh, what did you call them? The outlaw country people and, like, you know, about Towns Van Sant and things like oh, that. Oh, yeah. But you actually saw them, right? You actually saw Towns Van Sant. No, I never saw him, but, oh. but I was a huge, huge fan. But were, were you down there when all those people were playing around in the clubs? I, I stood gorgeous. I thought that's what your footnote said. No, 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 no. The footnote says, oh, so you have read my book. There you go. I perused um, it. <laughs> no, the footnote is, I'm a huge fan of Towns Van Sant, uh, and his song, Pancho and oh, Lefty, sure, sure. is the song. So we there's a story where Deming, Deming basically at like 14 years old, was um, shipped off to that the war, that border war, Mexican border war. Spanish right? Civil War. So, yeah, okay. And, um, not Spanish Civil War. It was I know, it's in my war. book, right? Yeah. But, um, and he basically was heading out to go down there because he was volunteering, and they sent him back because he was uh, only 14 years old. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> and, and, but the, the thing was that that was the story. Basically, the poncho and lefty is sort of the story there, and I thought, wow, this is awesome. I get to combine in my book one of my favorite yeah, musicians. Yeah, yeah. His song and right. a story about Except, Deming. I guess that you went to, to back to Chicago instead of Cleveland, but that's fine. Still cold, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So, so that reminds yeah. me of another thing. Like as as I was reading through it, like uh, you know, you at some point you're like, oh, I spent time like shoveling snow and cutting ice and things like that. And do you think, I don't know, like, is that valuable <laughs> to to like to, to like 
so if we're if we sound uh, like my editor, but go ahead. Yeah. You know, you know, like 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 here 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 we are at a computer conference, and like you know, we got we got nah, nice it, soft hands with like calluses at the tips of our fingers, but like, nah, and yeah. we're trying to improve how things are going. But like, should we have like shoveled snow more? I mean, would that, I would that make things run better? I, I, I don't know. Yes. Uh, I, I mean, <laughs> I yes. I did, but yeah. I'm, and Deming did. I you know what for that sort. But they, like I don't I don't know what the prescription is, but I do know what the um, you know, the pathology or the, the way he turned out to be yeah. had a lot to do with his hard scrabble life. Uh-huh. Right? Like that, that that he literally would have to catch fish for the family. They lived in a tar shack. Um, but at the same time his father was sort of a lawyer and his mother was a musician. You know, so he had this left brain right thing going. And then, you know, so all these elements, you know, he's really they called him a professor when he was like twelve, right? Uh-huh. So he was brilliant, smart. He goes off and he gets a you know engineering and a physics degree, and then he goes to a place called Hawthorne, which is basically the 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 quote that I used was if you know in the 1920s, if you're building cars, you went to Detroit. If you were uh, like um, building steel, you went to Pittsburgh or Erie. But what people don't know is if you're building telephones, you were in Hawthorne Works outside of Chicago because this was the place where. They were manufacturing not just telephones, but like telephone systems that were going around all around the world. I mean, it was like it was quantum computing today, uh-huh. right? Like, yeah, you, yeah. like this was like t- my I, my my cousin just moved to California, and I can actually talk to them now, right? As opposed to a letter that might come in a month. And but this place was a sweatshop inside the house. It was like it was you know, Upton Sinclair's jungle, right? It was it was. You know, and so he got to see that. So hard scrabble life, getting a physics degree, um, having some success, but sort of bringing that. So yeah, I think the I you know again I don't know what the prescription is for anybody else, but I will say it it made a difference. If I tell you the biggest thing I admire about Dr. Deming was he was a humanist. Sure. And I think he pulled all that from his hard life, the way he saw people work at Hawthorne. When he went to Japan, he saw a whole different model of intrinsic motivation. And, People who basically did the work for the, the sort of community of the work, and all that sort of you know. My, the name of my book is um, Deming's Journey to Profound Knowledge, mm-hmm. and the story is there are these elements that he picked up all along the way, from a hard scrabble life to working as an intern in a place that was, you know, the jungle, to going to Japan and finding a culture that just loved him, and he loved that culture, and he loved. He said the. Those students that were wartime statisticians, he said they were the best students he's ever taught. So I think all that evolves into this, you know, this incredibly interesting human that has impacted all of our lives. And that was the other thing I wanted to do in the book. I wanted you to read the book, whether you were my mother-in-law or you were you, or you and read it and go, well, I, I heard this guy, but I had no idea of all the ways he's impacted my life. You know, the kind of the question is, is there value in and hard work and having experienced that and like as 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 a parent i would say for sure um mm. you know having it's one of those things like anybody who's worked as a waiter or you know in a service industry has a lot more empathy for other humans <laughs> that's true <laughs> and so i think i think there's value for everyone to have you know some level of, of that experience you, I, you know so I, I had my kids late in life so i said that with kids and and you know by the time I had them I was you know reasonably well off right and so they're they're not I always say they're not spoiled as people they'll you know they 
they they know they can't be tolerated to, to not have empathy and mm -hmm, treat people mm -hmm. respect. But but I you know, I gave them a lot of stuff because I could. Yeah, right? yeah. But um, the one thing I realized is you as you know I think we probably all have a little of this is that you know we we make good money and we sort of worry about like it could how, be better. Yeah, <laughs> all right, all right, all right, fair enough. But but here's the thing, right? Like I my my wife is from Nebraska and all her relatives like big corn farms and all. And it wasn't until they were already sort of too late. I went to visit and I was like, darn, I should have sent my boys oh, to, work to work on, on the farm. farm. Yeah. And I talked to my, my, uh, my wife's relatives and they're like, oh yeah, we would have, they would have had a blast, but they would have put them like to the, yeah, yeah. you know, and I, I like, I think you're right. I mean, it, like, I think your kids, you know, I mean, like you want your kid to maybe be a doctor or whatever, right? And that's going to be awesome, right? Mm -hmm. But I do believe that what you said is 100% true. Like, if we have the opportunity to put them in hard, customer-facing, roll up your sleeves, yep. every day is it going to be, like, you know, sort of glorious. Yeah. Like, if you can do that with your kids, it's, I think it pays so off big time. Yeah, you know, you know, my son Cormac, he got very excited about the chance to go work at Albert Hine, the, the, the Dutch oh, yeah. HEB. Uh, because if he works... On Saturdays, like his friend does, he can make 60 euros a month. And he was just like, that sounds awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah, my daughter works Sunday mornings at the vet clinic. Oh, yeah. Oh, she, cool. she wants to be a veterinarian. Oh, wow. No, she's a kennel hand. She cleans kennels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. because right. she works Sunday, she gets double time. Oh, oh. <laughs> I should ask him about that. That's yeah. pretty cool. Well, so so here, here's my last Deming question. Ah, you can go Deming all day long. Well, I know, I know. But there's other stuff, too, okay. which would be interesting. But uh, What else? Like, like, so I haven't gotten to this part in your analysis because I've been perusing. Okay. But, like, <laughs> but like what, what, what's the commentary on, like, making money, right? Because a lot of, like, Deming talk is about, you know, quality and process. And then, like, is there the part where it's just, like, boom, profit. Here's what you do. <laughs> like, beyond, like, if you have a good product, it'll be profitable and process. But is there, like, does he cover anything about, like, so if we were doing M&A, or like annual finance stuff, or is he just like, I don't do that? No, I think that. his his purity here is that, you know, <clears throat> the more quality, I mean, it's all about, and it, you know, it, it like the deeper you get into it, is the more you focus on quality, the actual more you're going to profit. Right? Yeah. And he, he doesn't really use profit. And I'll tell you a great story. <laughs> is, um, so in the late 70s, Ford did this joint venture with Mazda, and I, I think they bought portions of it. And they had uh, certain cars that, um, what there was, I forget what car it was, but if you ordered it, you could either get the transmission that was made in um, from Mazda in Japan, or you got it made from a group in the U.S. Uh -huh. And they started getting these requests. Ford, this uh, Donald Peterson was the CEO of Ford, and he, that people, would, the, the power buyers, the um, the big dealerships would be like, hey, on this next order, can we just get the ones built with the the Transmission, yeah, <laughs> and um, and so they it was at first they thought it was a bias, like everything in Japan is better, right? And then, but the, the, it was too much. So they 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 had some engineers tear apart the both of the, um, the, the um, transmissions. Now, now who's who's the they there? The they is the Ford engineers. Ford engineers. Okay, yeah. okay, right, right. Um, and so they tore them apart, and I don't I remember what the spec was. Let's just say the spec is like sixty millimeters. Like again, it could be silly. Sure, but let's just say that. Both were to spec, right? So the engineer's like, that's not here, man. They both to spec. And somebody's like, well, that one's like eight millimeters. Why is it six millimeters? Like, yeah, that's not. It's to spec. So there's the whole thing about the evolution, and I do cover this in the book, but the evolution of the history of sort of quality. Uh -huh. You go from in interchangeable parts to, uh, to sort of, you know, interchangeable parts introduces this whole thing about variation. Because mm -hmm. now it's the, does it fit? 
So then they go to sort of tolerance levels, and then it does it fit this way and does it fit that way. So they have this thing called go no go, like with basically gauges: is it too big or does it is it too little? Uh -huh. No, right? Um, so this whole tolerance thing, and then you you go all the way here, and to them, if it fit, what more did you need to yeah, do? Right. And um, and so they literally have an unsolvable problem because the engineers are like. Sorry, Don. <laughs> this is how you do engineering for the last hundred years. It's no grow tolerance. Making it eight versus sixteen is not making it better. Uh huh. And then Peterson, there's a documentary in 1980. It's called "If Japan Can, Why Can't We?" It's how we start the book. And he hears Deming at the end of it talk about this continuous improvement and this whole way of thinking. And like this is part of my sort of um, narrative of what happened. He definitely calls Deming and invites him in. But I think he calls him in because he sort of explains why 8 is better than 16. And so now the engineers, and there's a great documentary where some of the Ford engineers go, on, once we realized that principle of improvement, and that's how they started tying the, the better the tolerance, the tighter the variation, mm -hmm. the better the product. Right. The more money you, you make. Yeah, you just keep lowering right. those and, numbers. And, the and so it isn't like you just cut it in half. Like, I mean, I think engineers were like, no, Don, it fits. And if those guys just want to cut it in half, we could cut it in half again. I mean, what's that going to end up on? Yeah. But once they realized that they didn't get to eight by just cutting in half, they got to it because they were constantly iterating on variation and understanding how variation, and I, I won't get too far into control charts, but like they really started looking at and all. All this stuff that was invented back in the 20s that you know Bell Labs knew and they were doing, they used that stuff during the war in the US. They threw it out after the war and went back to the old way. And then Demi goes over to Japan and teaches them the stuff he, remember earlier I said that the, the, the Japanese statisticians were sickened by the gap of quality? That's because Deming and a bunch of people taught this statistical process control stuff during the war efforts. Mm -hmm. And and some people say he we won the war partially because of the quality. Oh yeah, they yeah. throw I've it out. I've definitely heard like the U.S. is just a you know logistics and engineering powerhouse that you know. Once yeah, you, we, once you point those we in the out, right direction, yeah, we outqualified yeah. them. There's a general who said it, but then we throw it all out because right. the, the guys come back from work and they're like, "What is this nonsense?" He goes over to Japan. He takes the same material. I mean, he just dusts off the material that he taught at Stanford for a class for like three thousand uh, managers to train the trainer. Uh, I think the the uh, the viral activity was like thirty thousand plant managers. He takes that same material and he teaches it to these wartime statisticians. That becomes, uh, and again, one thing I'm really clear about is Demi didn't create the miracle in Japan. You know, I, I, you know like I like there's a lot of elements. There's Duran. Mm -hmm. There's these the Japanese have created these things, but he he ignited a flame with these statisticians and the. The pathways from the people involved in that become people influence Toyota, you know, all these companies. So that uh, that's the thing Peterson got at that point. He realized you don't just get to eight. You, there's a process where you can use statistical mm -hmm. and analytical statistics. It's called, and you can work your way. And like it's, you know, if you read Mike Rother's work, which is Toyota Kata, he calls it a true north. Like, like you, like you're never going to get there, but you're always. You know, you know, like you're always working towards it. You know, it's that sort of calculus mm -hmm. problem, right? So, so, so what, what's the what's the the leap in innovation between like 
Ford and Taylorism, right? Because they, they spend a lot of time studying and optimizing and figuring out the best way to like run the line. And then like this more, you know, your, your uh, what was it, 16 to 8 thing, right? Because it's, and because and, in my mind, the difference to answer the question, as I like to do, would be that like Ford and Taylorism don't change the first answer. Like they come up with the optimal way of doing it, and then they don't go back and study and improve it. They're just like they go, I, I think that's a big part and, of it. Or but and and then but then what you're saying is like and well not only what you're saying. I mean we all we all we all have this uh, greeting card level of understanding of lean stuff, right? Yeah. And and like instead you're constantly learning and adjusting and doing things like that. So like like it's it's hard to answer this kind of question, but like no, I, wouldn't I, Ford and Taylor just be yeah. like we should go check it again six months later or like what? I, what causes that shift? Well, part of it is, because so, there's another layer to it. One is not doubling and tripling down on analytical statistics, because that, that is a yeah. tool that helps you see visually what the variance looks like. So it, now, it gives you an idea. You and that, so without that, you're sort of like, okay, it's 16. Is everybody happy? Okay. Right? <laughs> right, and, right. And here's another problem was after World War II, the, the success of American manufacturers because nobody else in the world could produce anything. Yeah, yeah. So like we didn't have to have any quality. So the one answer to your question is you didn't have to care about fixing and making no it better. There was it. no urgency at all. Yeah. But the second critical part between the difference between uh, sort of Taylorism and Ford, you got to remember Fordism, right, was part of Taylorism, was all part of like the things we fight in DevOps, right, which is yeah, yeah. command and control structures, you know, you, know, you do what we tell you to do. Um, the thing that um, you know, like the Deming introduced, was this sort of human condition of learning. And one of the greatest quotes of a comparison between Sloan and uh, and uh, you know Sloan—that's another sort of manifestation, GM Sloan and Toyota Ono, right—was uh-huh. that um, Sloan said we 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 don't, we're not in the business of making great cars; we're in the business of making money. Okay, well, fair enough. That's no, I mean, yeah. but but Toyota Ono said. We're not in the business of making great cars. We're in the business of making great people who make cars. Right, right, right. And then the that comes. that is the clarity between the analytical statistics and the way you think about humans as the the first principle. You know, and then that, that like when you say like we touch a greeting card version of lean. I mean, if you really explore lean, you find it is so much ingrained in the people relationships, not so much the. In fact. You know, I did this um, panel where it was me, Gene Kim, and it was uh, St- Dr. Spear, Dr. Steven Spear, and uh, Dr. Woods, and Sidney Decker. And what was interesting is the um, there was this whole starting off about lean is very deterministic, and like so the the Decker and um, and Richard Cook, rest in peace, beautiful man. Um, the they they really thought lean was this deterministic, you know, the fourteen ways to do lean. And, and for the most part, the hundreds of books written about lean, right, but not Steven Spears version, High Velocity Edge, and not Mike Roth, unfortunately we couldn't get him. They will talk about complex systems, they'll talk about humans, they'll talk about all the, in fact, Mike Roth in Toyota Kata, one of the first things he says in a book is like, there's been a hundred, and I'm paraphrasing, but a hundred books written about lean. I'm the first book I'm gonna talk about the hidden side of lean. And so the hidden side of lean is that human, it's that, like, you know, Taylor was stopwatch, right? Like, mm-hmm. okay, Michael, go ahead. Yeah, uh, you're just not digging the shovel deep enough. Like, I think you need three more centimeters on every shovel, right? What happened in Japan, 
um, definitely influenced by Toyota, but partially because it was a culture that like could adapt this, which was, hey, just build a great, you know, dig a big hole. I trust you. And if you need help, I'll mentor you, right? It's like a whole different sort of way of thinking. And uh, so again, it is the sort of analytics, the, the, the statistical process control, it's the culture of how you think about, and you know, and, and, and Toyota sort of accelerated also in flow too, right? So Deming was not so much, he gets more credit in some cases where he shouldn't get. Um, you know, Ono deserves most of the, the sort of analogies about the river and the flow and a lot of the way we think about value stream today, value stream mapping and all that. That I, I can't find any evidence that Deming was like directly influential in that. So yesterday you gave a talk uh, going over another book, Investments yeah. Unlimited. And you know when, when you when you uh, uh, just as a side note, when you you flash the cover up, I think I texted Matt Ray and I said nine authors. And, and then, and then <laughs> later on you came back to uh, I don't recommend this. Yeah, 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 having, yeah, 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 yeah. having nine authors, but I, I guess uh, it pans out eventually. But you know, so uh, I so th this is this is always a topic like. You you kind of highlighted this uh, 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 this mind clunking I always have on top all the topics in our field. Like, Don't you mind clunk me, buddy? In in 2015, we wrote I think you called it the Green Report or something, right? We wrote we wrote this report about how auditing could be better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then and then it was three years ago that you yeah. started working on Investments Unlimited. I could give you the whole timeline, and yeah. and that's all right. No, it's it's a good start. Yeah, actually. yeah, and 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 then but then but then the issue is like uh, like so. Like now we're trying, it's almost like you're taking another go at telling people the good news, right? And, yeah. and so the, the, the question, the thing that it'd be interesting to hear your, your take on is like, so like, let me put it in a silly way, like when are people going to listen? Ah, like, yeah. and, and then what, because it's very similar to like a lot of the dimming stuff where like there's, there's almost this yeah, moment yeah. where you can't really, it's, it's it, just like a leap of faith. And so, you know, we see this everywhere else, right? So nowadays I'm going on here, but like, you know, everyone's like, oh, what's platform engineering? And it's like, I don't know, maybe it's like this time they'll do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, so like, especially in the audit area, like what, what is the deal with it not finally taking hold? Yeah, I, you know, my, my, I'll tell you what my hope is, but I'll tell you why, why, um, it, well, when we wrote the first Green Book in 2019, it was a reference, it was called DevOps Automated Governance Reference Architecture. Mm -hmm. And I had, Topo Powell was first fellow at Capital One. I had Courtney Kiss, who basically ran supply chain at Nike, you know, the software side of supply chain. Um, I had uh, Sam Guggenheim, who basically is, was institutional for everything that was infrastructure at Microsoft for years, right? Mm -hmm. Security. It was just a John Rezatowski, who was, uh, ran PNCs, you know, you know um, owned three floors of the PNC Tower in Pittsburgh, right? Like, these were real. I mean, I, to be honest with you, I sat back in the room and just <coughs> got chills listening to them. On the uh, oh, Dwayne Holmes at Marriott runs sixty billion dollars in Marriott revenue through Docker and uh, and Kubernetes in like pre one zero releases, mm -hmm. right? Like, like this was a team that will like they were on the board and like Marriott, we do it this way. At Microsoft, we do. And I'm like, I mean, I'm like getting goosebumps, right? I thought at the end of that book, it was going to be like you know, like I I I always wanted to do a product around this, and I thought you know. Man, I shouldn't have done this book because ten companies are going to create a product as soon as it's done, and it's going to be the most downloaded research paper. And, and Gene Kim's—it uh, was a Gene Kim product, basically. And uh, crickets, crickets. And I, you know, I'd go around, I give presentations at, J at Swamp Up, and you know, they there'd be people who'd be like, "Yeah, that's cool, John," but 
And then, um, and then we got to uh, 21. We didn't do like in 20. We just, you know, I mean, you know, with COVID, yeah. right? But we did actually do a project in 20. But like, I didn't have the energy to get everybody back. But in 21, it's like, and and PNC Bank, right? Um, went ahead and implemented that reference architecture. Uh -huh. So John Redstowski built on it. The three or four stories or whatever. Yeah, yeah, only two of the three, but uh -huh. yeah, that we're still working on that third floor, man. That's they're, they were like the, the main. They're the ones that won't listen. Yeah, the mainframe folks. No, and uh, so the um, and then I knew what he because I, I would go in and visit and sort of mentor and and um, I didn't directly consult with it, but I was deeply involved in that process. I, in fact, I, I got our good friend, uh, Mark Kinkle Triggermesh was in there. Mm -hmm. That was one of the reasons I got in there. To, it first came in through their automated governance system. Yep. And then I got Sigstar in there, which was another project that I was with. So I was deeply involved in it. And I said, like, let's do in 21, our, let's do another paper. So we we're going to do a V2, another reference article. Lessons learned. Yeah, I just like, what did they do from the sort of, the, the other one was really no code. It was like a what if reference, like what mm -hmm. if you could create fingerprints along the way and create some sort of blockchain-ish, like not really blockchain, but like a, a Merkle tree-ish thing to say, here's the evidence, to steal the evidence from the subjective ServiceNow record into a very objective, non-human, like, you know, surely that's the best way to do it, right? And um, they had done that. And, um, and so we, the book was then, okay, let's talk about like how hard it was to do that. Yeah. You know, all the soft side, how do you change a culture? Um, but and, and, and let me step back because we were going to do that in rote form. Well, one problem was they really couldn't document exactly what PNC does, right? Because um, it wasn't open source and it didn't seem like they were going to open source it. And so we just sort of scoped it out. And then literally the, the day two that we were working, we usually get three days to work on it and then two months to finish the paper. And we were listening to everybody else's readout. And I'm like, I'm like, we're gonna have another boring book. This sucks, right? <laughs> and uh, and it, I had the idea, like, let's make it a novel. No, somebody else said, why don't we make it a novel? And I said, oh, let's do it in the Phoenix Project model, mm -hmm. you know, with the the Jonah Alex and the heroic journey. And, yeah, and uh, so it became so why nine authors? Because it was never well. In fact, that was just going to be like a story that was going to be published as a paper, a short story. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, if, well, it was longer than most of the ones we write. Novella. Yeah, was, I don't want to say that. That's like I'm poshy. We were we went to create a novella. I knew that. I knew that. We had uh, 90 to 112 pages. That's right, the original, right? And uh, and then the IT revolution. What would happen is like as you wind down on a project, the one who's the leader, and I, no disrespect to everybody because they did way more work than I did. I put the right people in the room, but at the end, I was felt like I was the only one left. And the editor for IT Revolution was like, "You should add a character that does this." And I finally said, "Yeah." Everybody's gone. I got a day job. I have a family. Like, no more. You know, it's like whatever it is, it is. Um, and uh, Gene came back and, like, two days later said, What if you asked the team to turn it into a real book? And they gave us eight months. And we turned a book and it's selling really well, right? So, so it was sort of an accidental book. It was never, you know, like I said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, it, it actually worked out well, way better than I thought it could with nine authors. Uh, just, a, just a tidbit, like, if you have a lot of authors, for, you, you almost read it like a book sprint. And I, I, I hate book sprints, but the one thing I do like book sprints is anybody changes anybody's stuff. Because if, if say, Ray, you write some stuff, mm -hmm. and then I'm like, oh, I want to add some stuff here. Let me check with Ray. Yeah. Like, you'll never no, finish. No. So the rule of thumb is 
if you see something and you want to rewrite it or write it, you just write it. If you want to write it back, you write it back. Right. And you with all those people, like some of them are going to have conflicts, and yeah, we're and, not going to wait on you. You can't, you can't, and and yeah. you know, and it works because you everybody's still sort of respectful of mm -hmm. wow, he spent a lot of time on this, you know. But but the idea that we queue up and have a change no. a cab meeting yeah. every Wednesday, uh, that um, was my idea, and I got that from book sprints. That in a book sprint, that's basically what you have to do. It would never occur to me to ask someone before changing their text. <laughs> I, do. I mean, because I, you just put suggest changes on and you can go to the versions and switch. Yeah, but I didn't want that either, though. Yeah. I did, well, okay, yeah, and that's, we did use that. Exactly, yeah, yeah, we yeah. did, yeah, yeah. But, but I, I, I really wanted everybody to feel like, I didn't want you to feel like, um, you know, um, again, oh, I, you know, he, that, um, Ray probably really likes what he said there, and if I, you know, it's, what should I do? And, you know, you could fall into the trap of like, you know what? I got too much on my plate. I'll just leave. You don't want to spend this, this time. Too yeah, much. yeah. So, so anyway, the, the the book. What was the core of your question? <laughs> it, it was basically like so. You know, you wrote the original thing. Yeah. That, not the original thing. I mean, it was it was 2015 that something. No, no. Well, so there, there was like, a there was a lineage, right? There was originally a paper. So every right, right. And 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 then and then as you're saying, over the years, you go present on this stuff, right? There's, right. There's a huge community of of like, oh, I know of like how yeah. all this we could improve right, auditing right, security, right. whatever, and then. And then we still are in business helping people transform yeah. to it, right? But and you so, were asking like why? So, why didn't? Why didn't it sort of? Why didn't everybody? Yeah, sort of, and, and, I, I mean, I mean, we could ask this question about anything. No, but but I can give about. a really good answer. One here is um, the nice thing about the book is the same thing that the Phoenix Project did for DevOps. Yeah. So Gene didn't invent DevOps, but he put a stake in the ground. And the the thing that happened most in the early days of DevOps was. And this would always be my hack to somebody come up and say, John, you know, how am I going to get my readers and managers to do DevOps? I say, here's the trick. You buy a physical copy of Phoenix Project, give it to your boss. Now, they won't read it, but you go back to them like three weeks later and you say, hey, that book, man, I, I spent 20 bucks for it. What do you think? And, I'm like, and they'll feel guilty. By the third time, they actually read it. And then you, all the things you tried to tell them, they're like, oh, my God, now I get what you're mm -hmm. saying. The Investments Unlimited book, is that story for what a bunch of us have been trying to say to leaders? So, so this is a bank that's basically going to get, could get, lose its bank. So there's money. essentially uh, two things there. One is awareness. Yeah. So even though uh, there's all, all the thought leaders have been out there talking about how things could be better, people haven't been hearing it. <laughs> the people who need to make the changes. That's and right. Then, and then two, there's the, um, you wouldn't call it the medium. There's the, there's the the rhetoric. There's like, well, really, what you need is a story. Right, like you can have a good presentation, but even your presentation yeah, yeah, should so, be a story. So, so, right. But you've got to have a uh, beginning, middle, and an end, some conflict and people. And I mean, unless unless you package stuff up like that, you're not really going to put change in. And go right, like that's what Goldberg said. The best way to teach people or educate people is through a story, a right, novel, right. not just a story, but a novel. So, and, so if and if what Gene did with the Phoenix Project, I mean, look at the results of that book. Yeah. In the enterprise, right? I mean, we could have run around all day long getting all the you know the Bobs and Johns and Sues to do DevOps. It was the Phoenix Project that got like, I mean, the DevOps Enterprise Summit now. Companies like American Airlines will sell fifty people from their corporation to a DevOps Enterprise Summit. Wow. Yeah, I mean. So you've got you've got you got to have a story, and then persistence. You got to go three times. To, to ask about that, yeah, yeah, and then, the and book, then yeah, you know, yeah. you also have to know who to give the story to to uh, to drive awareness. Well, the other thing I think too, right? Like we all know this because we've all been in the software business, right? We look for these sort of shifts, or could be summarized as a compelling event, right? But the shifts that sort of create urgency. Yeah, yeah. 
And one of the things, uh, so we got the book, and now the, the book has become a nice, you know, sort of can opener for a better conversation. Because now, you, like, I can go to the executive and say, "Here's the book. Oh, would you sign it? Yes. Okay. Here you go." And then have a conversation after they read the book. Uh huh. Right. And that just you get a call saves back. so much time. Oh yeah. Like, but but the um, the thing that I think is um, more prevalent is this compelling event thing. And the thing I'm finding now, so I've just started with a software company that actually had a reasonable implementation of this idea that I did. And the thing I'm finding is if I go to somebody who's been doing, like our, I've got um, an organization that's using a legacy database solution that for a really large bank that basically there's no urgency to replace. Even I, I can scream to my Tom, hey, it's it's you know highly subjective, it's high efficacy, you know, it's low efficacy, it's high toil. I'm like, yeah, but like you pass audits. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not ripping this thing out. It's been it's a self-service system for legacy database systems that have been well, working for years. And then, yeah, I want to hear your thoughts. And then and like just like and and by the way, it's not even my game. Like it's the like it's an audit internal thing. But then, if you hit them, like right now, and they're like, they've been tasked to move that to sort of an RDS version and then have all the self-service. Well, there's nothing there. The legacy infrastructure um, like had all this stuff built into it to sort of create data. They realize they have to rewrite from scratch, right? And now, they not only have to rewrite all that from scratch, but now they got to write all that attestation stuff that's been for 10 years. And if you kind of swarm in and say, hey, I got one already. I got another one really quickly, which is um, so a large insurance company is moving a patient care app from a classic Java to a Lambda. And they, they're sitting there going, I don't even know what to do to give the orders, but they're going to want all this stuff. And so like, there's all these new tools for API development. And, you know, and so like all these things, when you walk in and say, well, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. And I can turn it all into fingerprints. So I'm, I'm hoping... The, the, the true shift of people, you know, the, the, the Mark Twain, like, um, sort of you could use the cloud version of it, you know, um, everybody complains about the weather, but they never do anything about it. Like, everybody talks about cloud, but they don't really ever. I'm starting to actually see now where companies are literally saying, no, not, enough is enough. I want, you know, I want that patient care moved to some form of cloud. Right. Or I you, want that self-service. You've got, you've got like a window of opportunity where something yeah. is happening. Yeah, and I think that to me is that. one form of a compelling event that that's, you know, Knock on wood is going to be so. You must see that people are like, we want to save money. Uh, yeah, but I, I, or maybe saving money is like an event on its own. Like you know, yeah, yeah. It, I think that is a bad. Well, but but I mean, kind of coming back to what you're talking about. Um, do you feel like there's been a slowdown in DevOps? I mean, is it like a COVID thing or something that I, I feel like we've hit like kind of a doldrums of of mo- motivation almost like. I see more shops seem to just be like, yeah, we tried, we gave up. Or, you know, we had some people, we called them SREs, but really we're going to be okay with platform engineering. Yeah. And and is like, is platform engineering like a new plateau? Yeah, no, I did. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think to me one is we've really confused a lot of people. Oh, yeah, that, right? sure. Because, you know, when, and, you know, I mean, the worst thing that Google ever did, which is, you know, and then again, I get why they did it, why they said that, uh, you know, SRE implements DevOps, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and so what? Th- what that turned into is a cancer of 
I, I was joking. So there's some, uh, we talked about this last night, right? Some team that's been doing service management, I told just every other month, the DevOps folks saying, when are you going to be DevOps? So like, next week, guaranteed. You know, and then they come back, and then they read this thing, or somebody comes to me, do you realize this, this thing called SRE? And it's ITIL in their view, right? And they're like, so the next time that DevOps team comes down, they say, when are you going to, oh, we're doing it. What do you mean you're doing it? Oh, we're SRE now. And like nothing changed, right? Nothing There's, changed. Um, you know, and then you got the confusion around what platform engineering really is, mm -hmm. and, that, and then some of these people are using it to sort of con purposely confuse, like this platform engineering. It's like I said last night, it's like, that's like saying is, um, is Agile replacing Java? Like it's the wrong comparison. I, I, yeah, I have seen people ask that question though, right? They're like, oh, you know, we were going to rewrite it, but instead we went Agile. It's like, I know, no, yeah. no, no, but yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, 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 <laughs> but yeah, so, so I mean, that's the, but so I, I think part of, I think you're correct, and I think part of it is this just overlay of, you know, like we have this luxury, like we geek on this, we hang out with people, understand all these things, and we have like, you know, really fast click-throughs to find out the correct, like we, we know in our network, like if there's something new pops in, I know who to call and they're gonna tell me the skinny. Like lots of these people don't have that kind of network. Right. So they're just getting like, they, they see somebody talk about SRE, then they see somebody talk about platform engineering and, and they're just constantly like, well, that one doesn't match, I, I don't know, right? So I think that has a lot to do with it. Two, I think, um, Let's face it, we're, you know, humans are terrible at implementing frameworks. And stuff. <laughs> so whether it's the most perfect framework or it's like, you know, a SOAP structure for application programming, mm -hmm. right? Like some humans are going to do it good yeah. and some humans are going to do it terribly. Yeah. So, and then you had COVID. I, I, so I think you're right. There is, I don't think there's, I, like, I don't worry about it mm -hmm. in terms of like, okay, is it over? No, yeah. no, I, I, I knew I that. Was, I knew that yeah. wasn't your question either, I, I, but because I, I mean, I, I think there are lots of people who have experienced success. Yeah, and, yes, sir, absolutely. And, and you know, they become evangelical, but the people who saw some success, but you know, they got mired back in their you know inertia. Then they go to their next company and they're like, yeah, you know, it's fine. We, I, don't, I, we I, don't have to push it that hard. Well, the other thing that hurts too is that there's just a sort of. A, a Ferris wheel of leadership changes. Absolutely. So you have somebody come in, or you sort of build this DNA around a core group, and they're sort of, they're like going all in. The leadership's like, you know, I trust you, go for it. I don't know what it is, but like, you know, like Courtney Kistler, when she was at uh, Nordstrom, I mean, they built, but you, you know, you were working directly with them at yeah, Chap. Yeah. They had done amazing stuff, but the problem was that brick and mortar retail was getting clobbered. Right. So they went out and they found somebody who looked like they could do brick and mortar in a new world. He comes in and he's like, what's all this crap? So next thing you know, Courtney's gone, the team's gone, like some of the most talented people in the Dallas community are just gone, right? I mean, the, the round robin on CISOs is just scary. Yeah. Like, you know, I watch a CISO at a bank, like I've had banks tell me that like in a three year period, they'll have like three or four CISOs, right? So how do you get any, like right, get maybe everybody yeah. was doing it perfect. Maybe DevOps is the nirvana, everything's perfect. But you're not going to succeed if your leadership is swap, swapping in, well, you know, once or twice a year. And, and I mean, this comes back to like the continuous improvement, like a lot of the Deming stuff is like, that makes a whole lot of sense if your company is not focused on the next quarter. Yeah, that, well, yeah, well, that, that's the, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. And so yeah, we yeah. have just all these like, 
you know, resistance That's where people right. are like, I'm just going to clock in. I'm going to do my I, time. And I, one of my favorite stories was that um, this, I went into this large bank. I spent a whole summer doing this qualitative analysis, just interviewed hundreds and three, 300 people. And um, near the end, I got to meet the CFO, right? And, and the CFO wanted to ask about agile budgeting. And so she walks in and she says, it's literally the last day I'm flying out. I'm basically done. I hadn't done the report yet, but I've done in the interview. And she asked me, she said, hey, you want to know how financing works here at this bank? This is a second largest asset holding, 2.56 trillion asset holdings. I won't say who the bank is. but um, And she says, would you like to know how we do finance and budgeting? Mm -hmm. Yes, please. <laughs> like, oh, my God, I feel like she should be paying for a finance budget. And she describes, which is common in almost every bank, build the bank, run the bank. So now here's the thing, they spend all this money to figure out from the ground level up what they're doing and DevOps and they want to do DevOps, can we get DevOps here but it's not working there, John can you help us and they're spending all this time and I'm realizing what a waste of time. Yeah. They've already defined it at the CEO level that there is a part of the bank that is run the bank which there is no innovation, it's like, it's like putting the uh, picnic tables out in the spring and take them back in the fall. And then they've got, and, and the problem was, I mean, is that nobody in a bank. So I talked to another bank and I started grokking on this run the bank, build the bank. I had another bank that took them three years to get Kafka approved. Because you know what? They couldn't figure out whether that was run the bank or build the bank. Right? Like, yeah. like so how can you, like, if at the CEO level, they've already decided this buy structure of your budget and somehow without any clear definitions, all the way down to every level, everybody's got to figure out, well, you're a run the bank, I think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You're, you're a sysadmin. Aren't you run the bank? Well, no, I do some creative stuff on infrastructure. I use Terraform. No, no, I think you're run the bank. <laughs> yeah, but I well, need budget yeah. for like, I, and I'm, I'm making it more simple, but no, that but, is, that's but, another but, problem. I mean, when you, when you boil it down to that, you see it when, you know, when we used to pitch automation stuff, the run the bank people would be like, we can save headcount now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it wasn't, you yeah, know, yeah. my people totally. are now freed yeah, yeah, up yeah, from yeah, toil. Yeah, yeah. I can, you know, I can keep more of that, that, you know, run the bank budget instead of like go and tackle And then problems. like you start building it for all the wrong exactly. reasons. Right? And then, you know, I love sales guys. You know, I, I'm not one of those software engineers guys who like sales guys. They make way too much money. I want my sales guys to make more money oh, yeah. than you can possibly make <laughs> in a lifetime because that means I'm going to make a ton of money. But like they will follow the, you know, the, the bouncing ball, right? Yeah. Like you know, if they if if somebody's telling them to run the bank, like, you know, they're they're not going to go, hey Ray, you know, is this going to be the right culture? Like the the long term strategy? They're not going to ask you yeah. that question, right? You know, they're I mean, going to. If you can find the sales guy who cares about the cultural yeah yeah, yeah, yeah repercussions yeah. of their job, they're probably not good at their job. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so Unfortunately, we, yeah. We, we should before we we end, we should let the the audience ask some questions. Sure. However. That the you know I think I think we uh, you need to tell us what you think platform engineering is and and let me let me tell you what I think it is okay yeah at yeah at least oh, today good. yeah yeah and, you got and, a keynote on it right yeah well like I think I think what I've landed on is that uh, basically it's like all your DevOps stuff but then you also have like a developer portal on top and you call that platform engineering so and, and like and like maybe there's also like building like a PaaS in between. I mean, I get maybe that's what I actually want to say is like right. it's building a PaaS, but then also you you allow yourself to have all the ALM like a developer portal on top. You make an intranet. Yeah, for and, but here's the thing, right? Like, and I, I like I said this last night at dinner. Like, I think Andrew's definition of 
it's a platform as an interface and it's not a platform as a service. If you think that through, it really defines the, the what, I mean, why are we having platform engineering versus DevOps conversations today? Because something t more than 10 years ago called the Borg was implemented at Google, right? Um, because I mean, we could, like, you could go, you go talk to the smart city people and they'll talk about platforms, right? So like in scope of who we are and what we do and like the Kubernetes word, right? Like that starts with the way Google redefined how they created the operation and developer experience. Mm -hmm. And they built it because they wanted to build this bridge where the developers didn't have to know anything about the infrastructure. They even came up with goofy names for the API, big, big table, and you know, and so that like you literally had, as a developer, the Google way. In fact, remember we used the word Google washing, right? You, when you bought a product, like the hardest thing you had to do is sort of figure out how to get it to work in Google because you couldn't do the things you could do anywhere else. Mm -hmm. there was, and every engineer coming out of Google was like, oh, we just use this, and like, yeah. it doesn't exist. Yeah, right. well, and in fact, there's um, why, um, whatchamacallit, right? There's why, um, what's the, the, uh, the, the guys that went to Twitter from Google that mm -hmm. built the um, Mesosphere, uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, wait, what's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> They're like, oh, what's that? And they're like, oh God, we're gonna build it, right? So you have that, which sort of then evolves into you know, then this Omega, and I don't know, they had a crisis of naming or whatever, but, and then, like, you know, I remember it was like 2011, and I'm at like a Lisa conference, and you know, it was classic Google would never tell you anything we're doing. And I'm sitting there, yeah, you, you sit in one of well, you're worse than that. You'd go up and say, that was amazing, and it's like, where can I find it? And all, oh, it's a research paper. Like, ah, oh, really? You just gave a whole presentation, and it, nothing real. Right. But then this guy, uh, John, I don't know, it's Wilkes or whatever, he gives this presentation, he calls it in Kubernetes, and I'm sitting there going, wait a minute, is this really something that they use? And they're giving it to open source? And, and that thing, we know what happened, it exploded. So what, what happened was, this is why I think when Andrew calls it a platform as an interface, as opposed, it's not a self-service vehicle, it's a, it's a something that builds that bridge, and I, I've mentioned this, Jay Bloom, look it up, it's called the three economies, and he, he says that like a platform really isn't just um, sort of innovation and scale. He, he calls it um, sort of innovation, that's, he uses a different word for innovation, and then he says there's a scope economy, and then there's a scale economy, and, and the scope economy is the carburetor. And that's basically what a platform is. It's sort of a carburetor that ingests you know, sort of left side innovation, novel, and right side, I gotta, you know, I can't let you just do anything. So we build this thing in the middle. And so when we have these conversations, you know, and the reason why I think Kubernetes, uh, yeah, I think unfortunately is getting tarnished by all this, so like it's, it's falling into the open stack problem in some ways, and I hope that doesn't continue, but but let's assume there's a, there's a golden path for it. Um, I, that's why I think it is the most innovative stuff that we could do. Platforms, let's create that bridge where the developers really don't have to know, um, you know, what's on the right-hand side. Right. You know, and um, so, but, so that's great, right? And then, like, okay, it's as opposed to DevOps. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> that's not what DevOps was. Right, right. DevOps was a set of cultural, you know, I still, Adam changed, Adam Jacob changed his original definition, but I, I think his original definition is it's a professional cultural movement, full stop, right? It's a way to think about how we do things 
you know, with, with a human condition, with automation, yeah. and like... There was never a skew for it. Right, yeah. so, so the platform, like, okay, yeah, why would I not have both? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I want the platform that takes the human out of it, it takes the culture out of it, it gives me no room for innovation. Yeah. Like, just because you have a platform doesn't mean, like, you're done. Right. Oh, wait, I don't need automation anymore, everybody. I got this platform. I got Kubernetes. I don't have to write any more code because I got Kubernetes. Yeah. How well did that work out? Yeah. I mean, platform <laughs> engineering, the skeptic in me feels like it's just like, hey, we've moved our silo, and now, you know, That's... everyone's happy with the ops silo. You know, you've got your dev silo. I've got my ops silo. Ours is called platform engineering. Yeah, no, I yeah. think I, I, you're spot on. And I hadn't even thought of it that way. It's, yeah. it's another sort of dev versus And we don't have to have them talk to each yeah. other. They it's, have a nice interface. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the SRE. It's the member in the early days, people would get like beat up if they called themselves a DevOps engineer, right? Mm -hmm. and, and for you know, some ways, the right reason, some ways, the wrong reason. But, but yeah, I think I didn't thought of it that way. But that's another problem is it becomes when you start calling a platform engineer versus then you embrace the creating silos. Yeah. And we know silos. I love them. <laughs> well, well, you know, that, 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 I said we were going to have audience people ask. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but another thing, when uh, I forget if it was your presentation or someone else's, but I was thinking maybe, maybe it was, maybe it was your, your audit one. Like, you know, a, a lot of what you want to do in, in all this uh, improving how software and operations is done is, like, use that principle of moving the decisions closer to the worker. Like, you know, the, the person who's doing the work. And, you know, you're always, like, uh, shifting left or whatever to kind of pull responsibilities in. But at some point, you can't have, like, 50 people on a team. Like, you've got to, like, say, like, all right, enough shifting left. So you know, sort of, like, how many, how many people or responsibilities, like, how much can you, like, put all together? 42. 42. That, that makes sense. No, um... No, I, you know, you know what I, another really book, one of the better books I like out of all the IT revolution books, right, is the Team Topologies. I don't know if you guys read it. Sure, sure. But, it, but they, they, they try to talk about that problem. Right? And it, that's the thing is, you know, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I think we fall into the trap, and I, I do myself, of this binary thinking. Right? So it's like, okay, two-piece teams, you know, you're fired if you do anything else. The thing I loved about them is they talked about... Um, you know, when to scale, you know, so they gave you sort of the, a little bit of loose algorithms to figure out like what was the, um, the cognitive load of a team, right, and that stuff. Right, right. So I thought that was a brilliant conversation. And so that's how we improve. We don't think binary, we don't like yes or no. We have really smart people like us, the people in this room that are constantly contributing. So Team Topologies isn't a don't do DevOps anymore. We have, it's called the Team Topology Engineer. Right? That's not what they did, right? What they did is they said, you know, hey, I think there's a way to think about these problems that aren't being talked about as first primitives. And, and, and I, I think that's, um, that's a, like a really, um, that's how we improve. When we get into this sort of like this replaces that or we don't need this anymore, especially when there's incredible IP and a lot of people have feelings towards that creation. Um, you know, I mean, there's a day where we can all say, yep, we don't call it DevOps anymore. I like I I'm, I'll applaud that day. It's not today, unfortunately. So, are there any questions hey, from our well, audience? On that note, what do you think of DevOps being in LA and scale, especially since it's not DevOps is dead yet? Hopefully, we'll do another <laughs> one next year. Yeah. You guys had a good time. I, I think this place is awesome. I think it's combined with scale. I have so many memories here. I said this in a blog post that I wrote like seven years ago, and I read. 
revise it, I said if Frank Capra was to create a conference, it'd be scale. Frank Capra, like the movie guy? Yeah, huh. so, so wonderful, wonderful life. life. Come oh, on, get, yeah. get, oh, Michael yeah. doesn't get the, the bank failure too. That's great. Yeah, now you have to run out of Yeah. Huh. Well, there, there you go. How, in, in, anyone else? Yes, you want to come up here? Yeah. Well, I, actually, no. We can hear you here. Yeah. yeah just, just talk really loud. Yeah, yeah. But don't yell. <laughs> so, um, if we could go back in time, would we? Do you think we'd be on the same path, or what would you change? Um, you know, that's a great, great question. Honestly, um, I mean, I think you know that, and I get this debate. You know, you're in Austin, right? Like, I, that you know, James Turbo. When I say that we forgot about security. And it took us like five years to figure it out. Jamie, like, can you please watch that presentation I did in Austin? I'm like, yes, you are talking about it. But in general, like that, like the first thing I probably would have changed if I could go back in time is, um, I, we should have realized how we need to. Like we did the DevOps, we got QA in pretty early, and we just were blind. You know, we had a blinker, a blind spot to security. And right, so that I think would have like we would have been in way better shape right now in terms of the conversation. That um, yeah, but DevSecOps is such more. I know, more, I know. More, 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 more. No, but but like, it, but that's the you know the 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 reason why people. Got, I had people like you know I mean like Josh Corman and, and uh, people I love right. Would you know James Wicked would call me up and say, "Can you try to stop them from using DevSecOps?" <laughs> you know, like there was like a lot of and I and fundamentally I was one of those people. Like I like I fought no ops. I had a detente with Adrian, Adrian Karkar, you know, down in Los Gatos to have a conversation about please stop calling it no, you know, no ops. Yeah. So I was one of those people, but I saw that we had severely not included security people, and it was a word that just like it it was a, it was a neon light for them to come in. But had we started from the beginning, we probably wouldn't need it. And I hope there's a day where we don't need DevSecOps yeah. as a word. They called it like scalms or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you know. And I, I guess I don't know. Anything else was just an evolution. I think what, the way Patrick DeBar, uh, there's a great in that same Austin. Um, he gave like a little bit of history of how he's sort of cultivated this movement, and it gives you such an insight to how he is. The way he sort of kept his hands on it, but let everybody do it the way he did. So in that respect, I, I don't think we could have done it any other way. Good question. Back there, you. Yes. Uh, so general question: Do you think that the dilution of the DevOps concept has led to the explosion in tooling, and do you think we will ever get back from the "I've tried that transformation and really didn't work" world? Yeah, I mean the thing about like you know the, the the one thing that like I think all these meta ideas fall into the trap. I, I kind of even like this is gonna be sound weird, but like the the movie stars, right? They they work their whole life to get like famous where people want to take their picture, and then once they're famous, they don't want anybody to take their picture. You can't like sorry, it doesn't yeah. work that way. So when early DevOps, right? Like we're like oh back in the day everything was pure, and then who is that vendor? Why are they saying they're DevOps? I'm sorry, you invited them in. They're you know, like they're not going to have perfect mental model of what you your mental model is of this, right? Yeah. And and so you, so you, so in a sense, like we have to take what we get, and we can't. But it's easy to say I was there back in the day. Um, so the like back to, I think to JJ's question, right? Like it's the evolution that gave us this. How does it um, hurt us? I, I don't know. Like how do we sort of cultivate? 
And then I think some of these offshoot like SREs and although SRE comes out from a really pure reason, but these other ideas are because people see this stagnation or yeah, or I mean, what, I, I, the yeah, there there is dilution, but it's also like open source purists coming to scale and complaining that oh, Facebook's yeah. here, right? Oh, yeah. You know, and it's like, well, wait a second, open source won. I mean, DevOps yeah, yeah, won. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah. Is I like love it. I love it. Yes, defining brilliant. themselves with what you wanted them to define yeah, themselves. Brilliant. You just, you know, they're not as into it as passionately as you are. <laughs> Yeah. Therefore, yeah. it's not worth doing. Do you think that that? But I mean, no tool was ever going to solve it, and yeah. and and so as long as like everyone can repeat that over and over again, <laughs> or, then, then we're okay because we could say like, oh yeah, but your tool fits in our you know our but, vision of DevOps, but I don't need to listen to you as a vendor. To- I think I mean it goes back to that um, that sort of um, transmission story, right? I mean, some of us, you know, there is this telephone game of like the, the there's a, a there's a really funny game with Devin Crates. It's called the funnel game, and he shows it's basically a marble that goes a funnel, and you let it drop like 200 times, and you sort of plot the dots, and it's a very tight little circle, right? And then you try to there's rule one where you sort of or rule two where you create some tampering where you sort of like okay, it dropped there because you're trying to hit the bullseye, so you drop it here. And then you say, I'm going to go ahead and try to move it the distance from here to here so it hits the bullseye this time. And then you start getting a bigger circle. And then the third rule is you start moving the funnel based on where the target is. And now it starts going like a spiral, right? And, and, and so there is this, and, and, and one of those forms of tampering is the train the trainer, which is odd for me because I've been a trainer and I, I always think a train the trainer is a positive thing. But, but over time in an organization, I basically train matt on something he basically gets a mental model of like he's not going to have a clarity spock like yeah. dump then Don't he's going to yeah <laughs> but he's going to train michael right and then michael's going to train you and we're just going to have this telephone game so like one we weren't perfect in the beginning like i didn't realize devops was lean until like four or five years in like some people knew that i was like oh this is just lean and manifestation and software and had i read Mary Poppendick's Lean Software Development, I might have been better off, but I didn't come up, I wasn't raised that way, right? Um, the, um, but so there is this deterioration, and were we that good in the beginning anyway? And then even if we nailed it, like, hey, it's continuous improvement. It's like the Mazda story, right? Like you just, if we had that really going well, and by the way, should we be driving that more and more as we're in it right now? Then those failures would have been, you know, the, the whole point of a failure. Toyota Kata is like the best book, and there's nothing about software in there. It is like everything is an experiment, and the results of the experiment is what you do to basically figure out what the next experiment is. So a failure would never be a failure. It's I just learned that I'm not going to do it that way next time, right? Well, speaking of failure? learning <laughs> and persisting, thanks for being on. Sure. It was, yeah. it was enjoyable, and I'm glad uh, everything worked out. Yes. And uh, I know Matt Ray has to get off yeah. uh, to uh, a talk. Yeah. Oh. And uh, well, th- as always, this has been Software Defined Talk. If you want to get, uh, would we have show? We'll have a link to your book. You have to send us. Okay. Where people can. I get think it. it's going to be orderable in about a week. That's oh, in about a week. But yeah. but it's not. It's a waiting list order. But 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 hey. Waiting list order. Yeah, that's oh, how it very works. Exclusive. Yeah. Well, no, no. I mean that it won't be actually ready. 
Oh, 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 you're waiting for it to be ready, yeah. Matt. Wait yeah, that's the new trick up. now. They basically put a book up like yeah. three months before you actually get it as oh. a pre-order. It's not a waiting, and it's a pre-order. when it releases, it hits the top of the Yeah, that's, all that's, the sales that's right. All the accumulated. Yeah, it's, it's a whole huh. like... You know, you know, you'd think the people who make the charts would figure that out and uh, adjust. Yeah. But whatever, they don't, they don't. you know, well, no we'll Look at week two. Uh, but yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll put a link there at softwaredefinedtalk.com. That'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm sure... This is always fun, guys. I mean, I like this. Uh, we, we used to do this in IT management yeah. days. And burgers. Oh, it's good. Bur we didn't even talk about burgers. But no, man. no burgers. There's no, right. no room for burgers. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Hey. <laughs> right, wait, wait. I'm going to record something real quick. Sorry about the audio quality here. I don't know what I'm doing. All right. There you go. <laughs> Tell us about your, your, do you like muffins or bagels better? Um, I've gone gluten-free, so can't. Yeah. Well, I mean. I've got gluten-free. Gluten-free. Let, let's say in gluten -free a theoretical bagels, sense. No, gluten-free bagels are better than gluten-free muffins. Okay. That's, 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 a, that's a good, good answer, relative answer. Bagels. Oh, there we go. Bagels, yeah. You want to hear more about bagels? Yeah, we do. You want me to clip it to my shirt and talk you, about bagels? Yeah, yeah. What do you put on a bagel now, right? Uh, generally cream cheese, um, but you know, I've been known to put peanut butter on them. Put what? Peanut butter. You're or, crazy. Or, or, or even a, like a bagel sandwich, like an egg. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, the, yeah. A bagel becomes a sandwich and it's no longer a breakfast sandwich. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. Um, I do miss Einstein's. Bagels in Australia are just terrible. Yeah. Oh yeah. I do like bagels and lox. All right. We're all cool now. <laughs> yeah. okay.